Hello and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits in a new studio. Can you guys see it? If you can't see it, this is a waste of your time. Hi, I'm John Hears. This is Why Are We Talking About Rabbits. Rabbits run down rabbit holes on the interwebs and they tend not to, well, come back out. We don't talk about those. That's why. Why? Why are we talking about rabbits? Today, we talk about philosophy, theology. We talk about what it is to know. And we do it so we can illumine our world, the new world. And often we use the old world and old world ideas to make sense of it all. Today, Esther Lightcap Meek. Yes, a philosopher. With a PhD from Temple University, a philosopher emeritus at Geneva College, a senior scholar at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, Esther has written more than a few books, Longing to Know, Loving to Know, A Little Manual for Knowing. I recommend all of these books. We've used some of them at First Things, and Esther has even come to talk at our summit, our annual summit. Today, Esther Lightcap Meek, philosopher extraordinaire, talks to us about the epistemology of knowing reality on Watar. Esther Lightcap Meek, thanks for coming. How, how you been? You you were with us, the whole team of First Things People down in uh, or up in North Dakota. <laughs> how have you been since our summit? Oh, I, I've been so fine, but you know how it is when you... Um, you make real friendships in a very short period of time and then all of a sudden you're not there anymore. So, so, um, you know, that little blip was over too quickly. And so I'm really glad to see you. (laughs) Yeah. It's nice to see you. Yeah. You look great. We, we, uh, invited her y'all to come and talk about philosophy, which is what we're going to talk about right now and about her book, but, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you were wonderful. So here you are in, in America trying to make sense of the world. What what do you want us to know about knowing and the philosophy of knowledge? As a philosopher, we want to hear because the world feels like it's falling apart on some level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we have lots of problems in the world, but one of them is has this philosophical, one, one is a philosophical, it has a component that's philosophical. And because in our day, we're, we don't even know what the word means. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can have issues that we're running up against and not realize how they need to be addressed. And then even if we did know how they were to be addressed, we don't really have a proposal how to do that. And that uh, uh, kind of grows out of our uh, mindset uh, in the modern West, which is something that uh, y'all and <laughs> I share some commonality talking about. Um, but it really, it it's kind of generated a, a presumption about how knowing works that really doesn't go with what we actually do. And if you adhere to it, it really kind of gums up the works of life. And talk, so talk about that a little, mm-hmm. the, the part about how, what the West does when it tries to know something. Yeah, well, I. Our our general, you know, and and I like to do what I call philosophy in the streets. So it's it. I'm not working from philosophical texts so much as from my neighbors, <laughs> mm-hmm. and neighbors broadly, obviously. But but um, 
a, a general presumption about what knowledge is, is to say that knowledge is information. And then we have this presumption that what knowing is, is collecting it. Mm. And um, there's something um, uh, not only uh, uh, two-dimensional about that, but it's also, um, it's got lots of damage. It, for one thing, uh, it, it really, it was a, a rendering of knowledge in modernity to make it more uh, commodifiable and uh, more a, a, an instrument of power. I mean, one of our fathers in, in modern philosophy would be Francis Bacon, who said that knowledge is power. So, uh, you know, if knowledge is power, it doesn't take long for that sentence just to devolve to the word power. <laughs> <laughs> That's really true. So, so uh, I think a lot of the junk that we run into ha- just comes from that mindset. Mm-hmm. And and it is, I think, intrinsically um, dehumanizing, um, and and also um, one of the ways it's dehumanizing is that we um, we get into an oppositional relationship with the other, yeah. you know. So it's it's kind of an us themish sort of a thing, and uh, you know, your work uh, is all about listening to the other, (laughs) which is a very human and um, not to mention gospel-esque sort of thing to do. And and it really, I think, is um, spot on with how knowing is actually supposed to work. And um, not just in knowing the Lord, but in knowing um, entrepreneurship or uh, therapy or how to counsel, you know, uh, athletics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, name it. It, it. I feel like this is how knowing actually um, would work. So you're a university professor, and you speak to well, lots of yeah. people. Emeritus. Yeah, and you've spoken to lots of folks about something like a, a new way of knowing. Yeah. How, how yeah. are you being received when you talk to folks? And how, what are your books what kind of reaction do your books create? And and we should really talk about that vision too. Maybe you can do that now. What what is that a new way of knowing in, in some ways? Yeah, well, um because I think what what uh so so I feel like my job is helping people relay the accents uh so that they can see what they're actually doing, what they know. Mm-hmm. What when they know what they're actually doing, what's actually uh, transpiring, and then um, it actually involves kind of a, a skill training. You have to uh, think over how it is you go about riding a bike, <laughs> for example, <laughs> and and then take that into uh, some of the the uh, the the wreckage of uh, presumptions about knowledge that seems seem to be widespread. So, uh, I think the effectiveness of what I have to say. First of all, kind of it it requires it can require some time because you're you're in effect teaching and thinking about a skill. Um and and it also requires some trust. And because you think about this, if if the the prevailing paradigm of, of knowledge is information, then the prevailing way we go at reading books is uh collecting information. 
And so we just sit down with a book and we think, you know, each sentence is going to give us more information. It's a download. Yeah. So but my my books and uh, and thank you for having me on, because um, I'm trying to celebrate and mark the milestone of my first book, Longing to Know, which is 20 years old (laughs) this year. But um, oh, goodness, I I forgot my train of thought. Um, Oh, but so uh, you have to, um, you know, kind of change the way that you go at um, book reading. All, all my books are, are meant to be transformative. And so it takes some time working with people to get them to trust that and then uh, trust that uh, they're not going to be kind of taken into some esoteric world with a word called epistemology, right. but restored to themselves. And once they get cotton on to what's going on, then they start to smile and be gleeful. <laughs> How does but, it say, you know, because the mindset is so prevalent, especially, you know, still after 20 years and more, you know, centuries even, uh, this is an uphill battle. So you keep on having to talk about these these things with people. So if, if, if we're trying to change something like acquisition of information and move away from that, what are we wanting to acquire? in order to know properly, or maybe we don't want to acquire, like yeah, talk to yeah. me about the training of it. What are we, we're getting rid of the acquisition of knowledge. What are we trying to put in its place in your well, world? Let, let's, can we use the word paradigm? So if sure. the paradigm of knowledge that we all kind of inhale in the water, no, I'm sorry, mixed metaphor, that <laughs> uh, is knowledge is information that makes information the paradigm of knowledge, right? And we we tend to think you know science collects information better than anybody and da da da. Um, but it, if you could shift the paradigm, which actually uh, I do, uh, especially in my second book, Loving to Know, to one of uh, interpersonal relational encounter, uh, and make that the paradigm where. It, that you know, it's like we want to. Um, it's it. W- which is more um, powerful? Is it, it knowledge is information or knowledge is transformation? <laughs> mm. you know? So I I think we all have experiences of that. And so how would one you know make uh, an account of knowing that uh, displays that transformation. Mm. And I have to say, you know, and this is really uh, developed more in longing to know than any of my other books. And that is, I learned this um, philosophical account of knowing from reading the work of Michael Polanyi, who uh, died in 1976. He was a premier scientific discoverer at the beginning of the 20th century. And he kind of stepped away from science to save science by doing epistemology. Mm. And he said, you know, if knowledge is information, no scientific discovery could ever happen. But it does. <laughs> so maybe we need to fix our epistemology. And then he offered some some proposals about how we know that re- I really think resonate with what we actually do. And so uh, once, once you kind of get on board with you know, what he says you're doing and see that you're doing it, then you can start to get better at doing what you're doing. And what it actually does 
um, John, is is really um, dispel the stranglehold of modernity with regard to knowledge and power and lots of other things. I mean, again, there's lots more going on, but there is this component and we still need to address it. And so that's what I see my job to be. And so then, so work with me on this concept for a second, because I think still people want to hear. So something like a person then isn't really offering you information. They're offering you something like experience of their soul or something. There's some sort of communion. I always think about it in my own marriage or just really in the, in the symbol of marriage, there's the notion that I become one. And in that, in that union, I'm actually experiencing quote knowledge. And so the person is not giving me anything as much as participating in my world. And, and so is is that one of the mechanisms that you're trying to get at in your books? Are we communing as knowledge? Does that sound right? Yeah, I'd say communion is a great word for what we're trying to do with knowing. And uh, obviously it's got all wonderful sorts of implications to it. But but I, I want to say that what we humans were meant to do, the heart of what we're meant to do is commune with the real. Hmm. We're we're made for the real, we're made for communion with the real, and we're called to be lovers of the real. And so from the gate, starting gate, uh, I want to go at knowledge as um, more a matter of of, uh, intimacy. And by that, I just mean kind of closeness, you know, it's it's right. Right now, this hand is kind of touching on this hand, you know, it's just mm-hmm, kind of like mm-hmm. that. And so then what you've got is uh, something that what makes way better sense of our knowings when we're doing them the best, which is uh, uh, this kind of lively dance of intimacy. And I, I think sports examples are fantastic. Me too. Me too. <laughs> you know, you can't like collect information and then be a baseball outfielder. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way. Whereas if you learn the skill, you can throw yourself into it in artistry. And there's this intimacy and, and it's playful and fun and endlessly adventurous and joyous. There's a notion that, and you like theology. We talked about it when you were out in North Dakota. There's a, there's a notion that there's a new Gnosticism, sort of like you have the info, I have the info, that's where all the reality is, and now we can rule together or or build together because we share the, the gnosis, the information, which, of course, for the Christian world, that was thrown out um, because there was the incarnation, because there's the manifestation, like, man, there's a handle there, there's a thing. Are you something like going back and sort of recovering a Christic message or does it not matter? Does it not have to be uh, framed Christically? Um, can I say yes? You can, <laughs> so you're you can say both and. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I'm not prepared to offer this argument, but it, I would suggest that maybe the modernist mindset is Gnostic. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, it certainly uh, is a, uh, a, a disconnection that actually blinds us to reality. 
And, um, but, and I would say that, you know, my, my thesis in longing to know in the book that I'm celebrating the 20th anniversary of is that, um, uh, when you're considering Christianity, it helps to um, consider knowing, <laughs> like what goes on when we know uh, in any discipline. And then when we fix that, bring the that back to con- questions of knowing God. And so the driving analogy and longing to know, and it's a very playful book, um, full chock full of stories. Um, yeah. The, but the driving analogy is that knowing God is like knowing your auto mechanic. So uh, it's an okay, yes, God it transforms my life in a way that no auto mechanic ever would. But it it's the it's got the same features of knowing. That's right. That's right. So um, uh, when you look at how knowing works, and I just really kind of play that out as well as I can from what I learned from Michael Polanyi and apply it to knowing my auto mechanic and then to knowing God, what what I found when I read Polanyi was it made sense of how I know God. Interesting. It just made sense of what I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian believer, knowing God. It just made a whole lot of sense. And and that was not true with the kind of the inherited in the water. Uh, I, I had a similar experience. I think this happened to me after living in, in uh, West Africa and the Georgian Republic. Um, I never understood. I think I'm talking about the same thing as you are. Uh, I never understood why someone would light a candle or burn incense. And I started to realize that it was the embodiment, right? It was the, it, it was something like I could know God in my mind and recite, but I needed to lay hands and smell and touch and there was definitely a dislocation there. I had been dislocated from the idea that God was in the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's God's- something to that because, you know, information is inherently disembodied. Mm. And that's kind of why we see it as transferable. If you're going to have absolute power and universal information, it has to be totally disembo- disembodied. And Much so like then- the internet. In some way. Oh, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The internet is in our image in some way. So ways. you've got to, uh, but then how to have a, an account of knowing that deals in embodiment where your body is um, not an object, but right. uh, as the phenomenologists say, body as subject, it's felt, it's a felt body sense. But I would say, you know, liturgy and all of that is just a practice to to get into in a subsidiary way, the clues that then open reality, just like, you know, and I'm gonna revert to football, but I have in mind, you know, people in practice that are, you know, running with and putting their feet in tires. <laughs> You yes, know, yeah, yeah. And make them learn to dance. Well, that's an embodiment that then enhances your skill to do the artistry on the on the football. Yes, that makes a ton you of know? sense. Yeah, but but the point is not to memorize what you're doing with your feet. Right. Your, the point is to develop that bodied 
artistry. And that actually opens up the world of possibilities. Which I think you talk about in more than one of your books, but longing to know, which is this bicycle analogy, right? Which is, yeah, yeah. You, it was so clear that no one's thinking about the knee to the foot, to the pedal. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Right. 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 And if it, if you were trying to do that, the whole performance would grind to a halt. Which I think you said this to us too, in your talk with our, with our group, which is what happens when someone starts to hear themselves giving the talk, they start to see the lights and they start to, hear their voice and they panic right and that's when the uh, shutdown like stage fright would be an example or you know tennis players overthinking their game you know whatever that right. is right yet another sport but now <laughs> you're, making me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> you're making me nervous you're making me nervous because well and think about this if you're going to talk about the the um, bike and you know but uh, about biking uh, and you know, what happens is when, when you gain the skill, the body, your body starts to make sense in terms of the bike and the bike makes sense in terms of your body. And in my case, my dad's authoritative guide yelling balance starts to make <laughs> sense in connection with us too. That's the three sectors of clues I talk about in, in, uh, longing to know, and they all come together and you body them forth and then you're riding and the world comes to you in so many bike path possibilities right. but what the modernist mindset the modernist paradigm would be would be you looking down at your foot on the pedal it, yeah it would be thinking about yourself right right in other words, you're attending, you're focusing on, and this is what Polanyi said, you folk if you in if you revert to focus on what you ought to be subsidiarily indwelling, relying on as clues toward a farther pattern, if you revert to focus on it, it takes the entire pattern away. And so, so what we've got in modern epistemol modernist epistemology is a paradigm that blinds us to, disconnects us from reality and so this would make me believe and for people out there that know philosophy and people who don't maybe we can frame it it feels like you would not like the cartesian worldview descartes is not high on your list of philosophers does that sound right well and uh you know confessions here what got me started on this was when i was 13 somehow I found that I had inhaled the Cartesian view. Yeah, me too. Had <laughs> gotten it from no sermon or or whatever, but I just seemed it seemed obvious to me. Interesting. You know, and for that reason, I fretted that I did not have proof for the thing I most needed proof for, which is that there was something outside my mind. Do this for me. This is a little controversy, but not really. M most many philosophers are men. Do you think? Your womanhood, your femininity helps you claim this kind of philosophy and this worldview? Or do you think that's less important than maybe we'd want to make it today? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to make it less important. However, I've done a lot with, in my later work, thinking about the um, philosophical development of the infant in the delighted, rapturous gaze of the loving mother. Mm. And uh, wow. Descartes 
mother died early. Is that right? So, uh, and I don't think a mother has to be a female. <laughs> you know, I mean, in in uh, Peter Pan, wasn't it a dog <laughs> that they called nurse? <laughs> you know what I'm so, I mean, your best friend in some way mothers you, you know, or your spouse or, or, or whatever. But it's like the, the rapturous gaze of the loving other in whose eyes you can see yourself. And that's that is fantastically sophisticated, but absolutely ordinary everyday reality which may be the mark of reality which is it high and low together right or a better way is is you know reality seems to be in the paradox it's always both and you know the reality is halfway between man and woman somehow in in many ways and i tend to avoid the categories (laughs) you know we're human persons and i talk to human persons hi everybody First Things Foundation, John here is bringing you an accent for reasons unknown. That's right. This actually is my commercial voice. www.first-things.org. Go there now for merch. That's right. This is a merch store commercial. We have coffee from Guatemala. Yeah, ground, hand-brewed. Well, you got to brew it, but... The beans are hand-prepared right here by a beloved First Things Foundation supporter, but brought to you from Guatemala, where we work. We also have some cool Sierra Leonean West African merch. You should check out some cool stuff from Guatemala as well. And of course, the Georgian Republic. Some trinkets, t-shirts, love, hope, joy, all at the First Things Foundation merch store at www.first-things.org. Drop down merch. See you there. You know, yeah, that really- that makes me happy too. I, on the other hand, it's it's a fascinating concept as an Orthodox Christian. We run these these dinners. Actually, you went to one. I did. I'll never be the same. <laughs> yeah. We were toasting with Esther yes. guys. A lot of the folks on here know about our restaurant. And um, I think we hadn't opened the restaurant when we met. And now it's open, just so you know. That's great. And uh, I saw somewhere you got a really good review. New York Times. They yeah. they came yeah. and, and saw our work. So yeah. okay. they're happy. And it has to do with the We invite people. You know, the table is... Uh, you and you know your friend could come on any given Friday and sit with people you don't know, and then we do yeah. that dinner that you experienced. It's lovely. What the Georgians taught me was that Tamada is a, is a man. Now, I, uh, we can get into this or not, but it's very fascinating because at our restaurant now, because of the culture, and because we're in America in 2023, we have women who are very interested in being Tamada, and so. I don't know how to honor that table properly, but we have women Tamada. And I will say this, the tenor of the table is different. That doesn't mean that our natures are fundamentally different. That's not what I'm trying to argue, but I think they might be. But it does it does lend to a really interesting night when you watch the female Tamada and the male Tamada. I don't know. What do you think of all that? You know, I really don't want to comment. It's just so not the area that I that I'm interested in. 
thinking about. You know, I think each of us are distinct and, uh, you know, I, w- I want to work with all of us. So, so I'm sorry if I ducked the question. No, 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 it's okay. So there's no, there's no valley between me knowing you and you knowing me that can't be overcome with what I think what you're calling with is this longing to know and this moment of rapture. It doesn't matter. Can I can I know in a way, can I also know the natural world in the same way? Yeah, well, I have argued later on. I went and this is kind of implicit in maybe chapter 22 of longing to know, but I'm heading to this idea that uh, w- when you're involved with the real, uh, one of the ways that you know it is that it does transform you and showers all opens up all these possibilities. Yeah. Right. So that's how, you know, you get it when you're riding a bike is you start thinking about the possibilities. Right. And so what you've got is, you know, sometimes in philosophy, we talk about a one to one correspondence between my idea and the world out there. And that was just the problem I had when I was 13 is like, I can't get out of myself to get <laughs> right. that correspondence. One to one. But really what I think is if you if you engage the real. In, in a moment of insight, it's almost like a one to infinity correspondence. Mm-hmm. So reality just kind of walks in and takes over. One of the stories I recount in Longing to Know is um, uh, when my little girls uh, dragged me excitedly out into the woods at the back of our yard and said, Mama, look, and pointed down at the path, the leafy woodland floor, and didn't tell me what I was supposed to be seeing. And then eventually I picked out the Hershey kisses that distinguish a copperhead. And he was sitting there Uh, at my feet, looking up at me. (laughs) And in that moment of spying that pattern, reality utterly shifted. Yes. Now you stop thinking about stuff, you know, whatever you were thinking about, about, and now the copperhead is in charge. (laughs) That's right. And especially if you've got three little girls you want to protect. (laughs) Right. So, you know, if you think about Bible examples of that, the the road to Emmaus has the same dynamic. Their eyes are open and the breaking the bread, it changes their whole reality. Now, so that dynamic is so rich that it's more apt to say that reality is person-like. And now in the a book I'm about to release on artistry, Doorway to Artistry, I'm arguing that reality makes the first move. Reality welcomes us and says, here I am. It shows up and says, here I am. And I'm at your service. <laughs> is, is the reality the divine? I know it's not a one-to-one, but w- are you comfortable with that equation or not really? What I would say... Uh, is that reality is God and God's stuff. Hmm. So that that's everything, right? <laughs> that is, yeah, that's, that's the divine. <laughs> and you figure, you know, if you're, you know, working with scriptural text, text everywhere your eyes land, it they land on a let there be of the Lord. Hmm. Let there be here, now, here, now, here, now, here, now. Everywhere your eyes land, they land on the the let there be of the Lord. So, you know, uh, I don't mean to say, rea- you know, cre- created reality is divine, but it's his stuff, which means it it's uh, worthy of our regard. Right. And I think that's true about the other, you know. Right. So 
you know, thinking about your the things that First Things Foundation does around the world, you know, you are insisting on a practice of regard for the other. That's right. And that's one of the things that modernity did away with is regard for the other. How did they do that? How does modernity uh, denude the other? That's a great question. Let's see. How can I respond to that best? I th- I think by... Um, That was a great question. I'm going to have to think about this, John. Well, I was thinking because I know because one an answer was emerging, I think, is I think when we ask questions, usually there's something like an emerging answer. I'll throw this your way. Modernity made. I find that modernity is the beginning or the actual answer to the question of relativity. There is no object after modernity. It's just the subject. And I know that science imagines objectivity, but I just think it's really just me and you. And what happens is, is I really don't have to regard you because I think in some ways, I think the underlying premise of modernity is, is there really is no, there is no you. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah. There's just me and what I make of you. Which is the Cartesian egocentric predicament. Right. Yeah. So in other words, one of the things that what reality does is devalue yes. reality or modernity devalues everything outside of me. And then it turns out that if you can reduce that to uh, either components or uh, items or something that are, uh, you, you know, um, the, the point is to do that so that you, you can um, manipulate them. So I know, it, I know. You exalt utility or prag- pragmatism yes. to the end of power, then it do, then to uh, perpetrate that abuse, if I may say, the first thing you have to do is devalue the other. Yes. So, so you can condone your own actions, which is what we see going on in, you know, kind of the expansionism of imperialism. Yes, you know? Esther. <laughs> and I, I think ultimately... That I think you got it spot on. And what happens ultimately is, is that the mind becomes a justification machine for the belly and the heart, the noetic heart is bypassed because what you say, when you say degrade, hurt, and you're awful, or if we can say something like violence is bad, that has to be a noetic, that has to be a part of our center or, or what, what, what in my tradition would be called the, the part that sees God. Because God is the good. But if you take that part out, like C.S. Lewis talks about men without chests. If you take out the chest part, what's happening is, is my mind is relating to my belly. And the belly is good. Your desires are good. The problem is now my mind, I think, becomes a servant of my belly. And I can now justify rationally. You know, you've been in a courtroom. Or if you haven't, we've seen it on television. The mind can make anything look innocent, man, if it just works hard enough on it. And my desire can become an innocent desire if my mind works hard enough on it. And I think what happens is, is if I, I'll just shut up after this, but I think modernity is let your mind work on your desires, make sense of it. And I think Nietzsche is saying, and then just create your own values and then defend the hell out of those things. Defend them. Defend your created values because you're all you got. And 
I think you're trying to say something like, er, hold on a second. <laughs> There's yeah. actually a reality. There's actually a reality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if there weren't, you wouldn't be playing baseball. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Otherwise you'd only be playing risk, which is just power <laughs> <Maybe>. acquisition. <laughs> Maybe. So tell yeah. us about what you might be doing. Tell us about, I know you're, you're um, re-releasing or sort of recommemorating your book from 20 years ago, yeah. which is an excellent Accurately piece. said, because it's not being re-released, although I did recently make an audio version of me reading it, which is out there. And um, I wrote and recorded a new afterword for it from 20 years out. So that's oh, all findable online. And then I'm making little uh, whoopee around the event, including, I don't know if you remember the book, but actually I can show you. Where is my copy of the book? I don't know. But anyway, the book had a, a an odd little guy on the front of it. And uh, so now Absolutely. I got to come up with the little guy at 20. <laughs> this is great. So this is a sticker. And I sure have a ton of them. So if I come see you, I can hand them out. But you could actually cover up the first guy with this or just sit him beside it. But but okay, this good. Is kind of a, you know, something to sell. This is 2023 yeah. uh, version of the little guy. It says on his overalls, little guy turns 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm, what I'm we'll, we'll do is we'll link. We'll link all your, your, your new stuff and we'll Thank put you. your website and yeah, I'll tell everybody about it um, as per you, the, you know, the show I feel notes. Like this approach to knowing it makes sense. It made sense of my belief in God, That's but right. it makes sense of any discipline. So uh, this is how knowing works, no matter the discipline. That's, that's what I've spent the intervening years trying to show. And uh, so I love to talk to people in business or sports or as you see, you know, there's just if I get them talking about how knowing is actually going on, then I can identify the features of knowing. Well, we came across you. Um, one of our board members loves your work. And then I saw you giving a wonderful lecture to a group of uh, I think they were evangelicals who were learning ab about this kind of way of knowing. And it was amazing your um, nimbleness and your understanding of modernity. And that's mm -hmm. what I spent a lot of time on. And it was so enjoyable to watch someone not in my immediate circle understand. And I think it's happening all over, Esther. I think mm -hmm. your books are really important in this subculture of awakening. Um, I hope so. I don't think it's particularly just Christians, but I do think it's definitely, yeah. it's a Christian voice from something like the past. But of course, it's not really, there's not a past. There's just a reality of, of, well, of and I, I have truth. felt obligated in all along first to, to write for everybody because I think it's snobbish not to <laughs> like you, you haven't finished your work if you can't express it for, for everybody. everybody. Mm -hmm. But, but then, um also in part part of my regard for the other is you know i want to speak and write hospitably to with respect to the yet to be believer too sure. you know so i i don't want to come out ever with insider talk even with respect to christianity and i do feel john that our christian heritage uh alone 
uh, make sense of that, right? You mentioned the incarnation. We can also mention the Trinity. There's a there's a freedom to love and be involved with the other, not to mention a mandate. <laughs> That's right. Good it's point. distinct. It's to the point where, you know, it, it doesn't have to involve talking about Jesus, though in your involvement, there's this implicit witness. So when you you guys go do the sacrifice thing and go mm-hmm. off, when mm-hmm. creation begins with sacrifice, and then it ends up with a feast. I mean, all of that is like, for you, it's a screaming pointer to the reality of God. You know, you don't, don't have, you don't have to tag on, oh, by the way, do you see da-da-da-da? It should speak. It should speak for itself. And along the way, it's respectful to to honor the other, to listen to the other, and to honor the other. You are a joy. You may have okay. just said right there. Can I clip you? I, that may have been the most clearly said thing that I can't say. Thank you, because there is this internal battle within my soul, but also also even within our organization about saying it and. Mm-hmm. I'm always, I think I'm in your camp, which is, we said it. Remember when we yeah. <laughs> we went there and listened, learned the language, and then through the feast? And they're like, no, say it. Yeah. I'll well, say it. I'll say it, but. Anything wrong with, I mean, I don't think we should necessarily hide it. Although I do feel like a lot of people right now are just really, really sensitized uh, to um, some presumptions about God. Um, yes, and, salvation conversations are weird right. in 2023. Yeah, but you know, I I'm not going to deny that I love Jesus. <laughs> no, you, right? You no. Know? Oh but come on, I'm not doing that. But. You know, are are uh, you know glaring that it better be enacted. <laughs> I always say this: I'm not going to deny that I love Jesus, but I'm also going to wait till you ask me. Because I think I don't want to be asked. It's we know we have the, as you do too, as everyone does. There's always a sacred space, and you know I don't just come at you with, "Hey, last night my wife and I." You know, there there's certain things you just don't need to share with people. But when you see that they're in pain and they want to know that thing about why your wife and you are happy, let's say, you got to tell them. Yeah. It's very rare you start with the pearls. It's just very rare you you don't have to start with that. It's very rare. Well, and, and part like, of it is this this good manners thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know that's why you guys require two years of keeping your mouth shut. That's right. <laughs> when you get to the country, right? Because it's it's an exercise of listening, and listening confers dignity and regard. Well, it's weird. You're kind of like our philosopher in in residence at First Things. We we have talked about you. We we handed out your books. So thank you so much. You, you are. Um, I have a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, and you understand. Well, we understand one another, and so that's why I wanted to have you on. So, okay. uh, guys, I'll I'll link Esther's stuff. It's really good. Um, but again, I just want to make it clear: it's philosophy, and it's a way of knowing and it's very fascinating. I think you're onto something. I, I'm glad you came on. Thank you. Thank and you. We'll great be to in touch, you. right? Great. Make, greet all my friends, my North Dakota friends for me. I will. I definitely will. Much love to you. I thank you for everything. And um, 
Well, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll link all this stuff and we can't wait to hear more from you and find you on the interwebs. Okay. All right. Thanks. God bless. Okay. God bless sister. Take care. Well, that was, I mean, Esther, like, just listen to her. She's just filled with life and good stories. Her books are very, they're accessible for non-philosophers, but they're also filled with the big ideas. She is true to her craft. Esther, thank you for coming on. It's wonderful to have you. Little by little, we move forward. Like to remind you that we are having a a pair of fundraisers this year. One here in Greenville, right in front of the restaurant, a concert on May 6th. More on that to come. Very cool idea. We're going to have a big giant KP. Live music and like a ton of people toasting to a ton of stuff. All for the public. And we're also getting together in the Keys down in La Isla, wait, Isla Morada. The study of the Supra by First Things coming this fall, a fundraiser. That's it for right now. Be sure to tune in to our channel and learn more about our projects. Be sure to check us out for a KP journey if you want to go to Georgia or to Sierra Leone or to Mozambique and you got a little group, reach out. We'll set the dates with you. We don't force you into our dates. KP Journeys, Guatemala included. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a blessing to be on this podcast with you. Thank you. Au revoir. Nakvandis. Jusque la prochaine fois en français. Je voudrais parler avec toi tous les jours, mais j'ai oublié tout ma français. Au revoir.